CNN's Chris Cuomo is outed as a key figure in his brother's defense, despite that CNN gig. Joe Biden announces he won't be visiting Waukesha. And Jack Dorsey is out at Twitter. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Don't let big tech track what you do. Anonymize your web browsing at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just a moment. First, you don't have to wait for Christmas in order to start saving big on your Christmas gifts. What could you do for somebody that would save them hundreds of dollars, hundreds of dollars over the course of the year? Well, you could urge them to switch over to Pure Talk USA. If you want to do something really smart this month, I'm going to give you the life hack that cuts your cell phone bill in half. It is indeed Pure Talk. Pure Talk gives you killer 5G coverage on one of the largest 5G networks in the country and still saves the average family over $800 a year. I made the switch. The coverage is excellent. Their U.S.-based customer service actually cares about you and Pure Talk's prices, pretty much wholesale. Unlimited talk, text, six gigs of data for just 30 bucks a month. Keep your number, keep your phone, or this month, get Black Friday prices on new phones like the iPhone 12 for just $479. They've got a 30-day risk-free guarantee, so you literally have nothing to lose. Head on over to puretalk.com, shop for the plan and phone that are right for you, and then enter promo code Shapiro. You will save 50% off your very first month of coverage and save on a new phone. That is puretalk.com, promo code Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Some restrictions apply. See site for details. Get started right now, puretalk.com, promo code Shapiro. Alrighty, so the most trusted name in news, CNN. Every night features Chris Cuomo. And here is the problem with that. Chris Cuomo is a terrible reporter. He's not a reporter at all. He's an activist, just like Don Lemon is an activist, just like Anderson Cooper is an activist. Chris Cuomo, however, has now been embroiled for months on end in the scandal involving his brother, Andrew Cuomo, the former governor of New York, who was not ousted from his position as governor of New York for killing every old person in New York by shipping COVID positive elderly people back into nursing homes and then covering it up. No, he got ousted from his job because he couldn't keep his hands off ass. That's basically why Andrew Cuomo is no longer the governor of New York. And Kathy Hochul, the current governor of New York, continues to just fail upward. She only takes positions abandoned by men who get caught in sexual peccadilloes of some sort or another. So Andrew Cuomo is out. There may still be legal liability that attaches to Andrew Cuomo. But Chris Cuomo has been able to sit there despite his myriad failures of coverage during his brother's scandal. And he's been able to just occupy that seat over at CNN. No fuss, no muss. There is one big problem with this. Chris Cuomo was actively facilitating his brother's attempted cover-ups of the ass grabbage. According to the New York Times today, Chris Cuomo played outsized role in ex-Governor Cuomo's defense. Who could have suspected that not Fredo would have done this? I mean, so remember, Chris Cuomo is the guy so intelligent that he once said that saying that he is like Fredo Corleone, like the dumber brother in the Corleone family, that saying that is an anti-Italian slur on the order of using the N-word. That's how intelligent Chris Cuomo is. Block of wood, Chris Cuomo. Well, not Fredo over here, it turns out, was willing to go to the mattresses for his brother. According to the New York Times, thousands of pages of new evidence and sworn testimony released on Monday show the extent to which former Governor Andrew Cuomo relied on a group of allies, including his younger brother, CNN host Chris Cuomo, to strategize how to deflect and survive a cascade of sexual harassment charges that eventually engulfed him. Beginning last December, with the first public accusation by a former aide, Lindsey Boylan, the records lay out in unvarnished detail how a tight-knit group of advisors discussed a series of increasingly drastic steps to manipulate the press, discredit his accusers, and retain a grip on power that became less and less tenable. After debating the legality of the move, they agreed to pass Ms. Boylan's personnel file to reporters, portraying her as politically motivated and unhinged. They sought and failed to rally dozens of former female aides and supporters to pen an op-ed defending him. Now, 
that in and of itself would be pretty scummy, except for the fact that we've seen that playbook before. And it really is up to the media whether to buy the playbook. What I mean by that is that if Bill Clinton was useful, they not only bought the playbook, they just repeated the playbook verbatim. If, however, Bill Clinton is no longer useful, then Bill Clinton is a terrible person who never should have been president. Same thing for Andrew Cuomo. If this hits in the middle of COVID mania last year, then we just ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. Then if it outlives COVID mania, then we just feel like it's a good time to get rid of Andrew Cuomo because he's kind of a liability anyway, given the fact that, again, he basically just dumped all the elderly in open graves. According to the New York Times, Chris Cuomo pressed to take on a greater role in crafting his brother's defense, including phoning into strategy calls and using his media contacts to keep tabs on reporters pursuing stories about the governor. At one point, he even ran down a secondhand tip that another woman accusing the governor of unwanted advances at a wedding was lying. She was not. You need to trust me, Chris Cuomo pled with Melissa DeRosa, the governor's secretary at one point in March, arguing that she should rely on him and other outside advisors like the political consultant Liz Smith and the pollster Jeffrey Pollack. By the way, Liz Smith was also a consultant for Pete Buttigieg. And um, she was texting people that Christine Blasey Ford was Looney Tunes. At the same time that Pete Buttigieg was out there, like out front talking about how he believed Christine Blasey Ford, probably his chief assistant was telling the Cuomos that she was Looney Tunes. which just shows you how politically motivated every single thing is when it comes to the Me Too movement. Said Chris Cuomo to Melissa DeRosa, we are making mistakes we can't afford. CNN said on Monday that the investigative documents deserve a thorough review and consideration. Quote, we will be having conversations and seeking additional clarity about their significance as they relate to CNN over the next several days, the company said in a statement. Now remember, CNN has spent every waking moment of the last several years suggesting that Fox News is simply a propaganda outlet on behalf of Donald Trump and the Republican Party. Here you literally have one of their anchors, who is the brother of perhaps the most celebrated governor in America by CNN last year. He was doing comedy bits. Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour on CNN every night with his brother, governor of New York, while advising him on how to track down women who are accusing his brother of playing grab ass. And CNN's like, well, we'll investigate it. Or you could fire him, you know, just like you would anyone else. But it doesn't take all that much to keep a job at CNN. You don't even have to keep, honestly, it's not just that you, you, you can cover up for your brother's malfeasance or, or try to help him cover up for his own sexual peccadilloes. You don't even have to keep your hands off your own junk on, on camera. I mean, Jeffrey Tubin still has a job over at CNN. Like the standards over there are unbelievably low. Even though Brian Stelter will, will maintain that they, they remain a very, very trusted name for most Americans. We'll get to more on Chris Cuomo, not Fredo over here in just one second. First, if you're a business owner, it can be a tough time to hire top talent for your team, especially when you're competing with other businesses to find the right people. Right now, we have something like 10 million open jobs and a bunch of people are just not filling them. And there, there are only a few million people who are actually applying for those jobs. So a lot of competition for those open jobs. So how do you get the best employee? Well, you use ZipRecruiter. Their invite to apply feature lets you invite the best candidates to apply for your open roles. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. How does invite to apply work? Well, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, you start getting the most qualified people sent to you pretty quickly. Then you can easily review recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply with one click. Next key marketing manager, Aaron Hartje, loves invite to apply. She said, they get my job posting in front of the right people. 
I instantly see great candidates and I can invite them to apply to my job. In fact, according to ZipRecruiter internal data, on average for 2020, jobs where employers use that invite to apply feature from ZipRecruiter get two and a half times more candidates. That helps them make the hiring process much faster and more efficient. See for yourself. Just go to this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire at ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E to try ZipRecruiter for free. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Alrighty, so the previously unseen material, according to the New York Times, including video of the former governor answering questions under oath, were produced earlier this year by investigators working for Letitia James, New York's attorney general, who, of course, issued this report solely in order to clear the path for her own gubernatorial run. Remember, everything here is corrupt. Everything. Andrew Cuomo is corrupt. Chris Cuomo is corrupt. Letitia James is corrupt. All of them are corrupt. These are the people you want to give more power over your life. You want them to control whether you can go to your place of business and whether you have to force your employees to vax. These people, these dumbasses. Ms. James had already released transcripts of an 11-hour interview with Mr. Cuomo and interviews with 10 women who had accused him of a range of misconduct. In a statement after Monday's release, Richard Azapardi, a spokesman for the former governor, accused James, who is now running for governor, of acting out of political malice toward Cuomo. I mean, that, that is true. He said, to the surprise of no one, Tish James continues abusing her government power to leverage her political future. Prosecutorial misconduct, ethics, and integrity be damned. Today's manipulated release of hand-picked witness testimony with selective redactions is typical. And honestly, all the stuff they're saying about each other is true. Everything they say about themselves is false. Letitia James is not a warrior for truth. Andrew Cuomo was not a good governor or a good person. And everything they say about each other is 100% true. Letitia James saying that, that Andrew Cuomo is a garbage bag and uh, Andrew Cuomo replying that she's a politically motivated hack. Like, all of those things are true. Whenever in politics people insult each other, the insults are generally true. And the stuff they say about themselves is generally false. I trust no one, said Mr. Rosa, by way of explaining why she and not an assistant was sharing call and strat details for a strategy call. In another message released by investigators, DeRosa describes berating two people, including one nicknamed Sponge, who is among Mr. Cuomo's accusers. I'm on a real roll, she said, adding, in my defense, everyone sucks. In one instance, investigators asked Mr. Azapardi to say whether or not the governor had ever pelted him with apricots in a fit of rage. He claimed the story which was relayed in the testimony of another unnamed staff member was false. Are you serious? Azapardi said, but he also testified, he's yelled at me. I yelled back at him, but it was fine. First of all, if, if Andrew Cuomo pelts his lawyer with apricots, that is the best thing I've ever heard about Andrew Cuomo. Like, it actually makes me like Andrew Cuomo. Anybody who pelts their lawyer with apricots basically deserves to be governor forever, no matter what else they have done, I think. One of the people who was very involved was Chris Cuomo, according to the New York Times, who appears to have played a larger role than he has admitted to or has previously been known. As the situation started to accelerate, my brother asked me to be in the loop, Chris Cuomo told investigators in a six-hour interview last July. He said he saw himself as a satellite of his brother's more formal advisors. He insisted to investigators he had never manipulated coverage or spun other journalists to benefit his brother. Uh -huh. He has told viewers of his show he acted only as a brother to be a sounding board to listen and to offer my take, advising his brother to tell the truth, whatever it was, and eventually to resign. Yeah, I don't believe that. As a working journalist with a vast network of sources in and outside of media, Chris Cuomo proved to be more useful to those trying to help the governor cling to power, according to text messages, emails, and testimony collected by investigators. He also argued strenuously against his brother resigning before a full investigation was conducted. When Mr. Rosa was trying to keep tabs in early March on journalists working to uncover stories of harassment, she turned to Chris Cuomo for intel. On it, he wrote back after one such request. A few days later, Mr. Rosa wrote to the governor's brother. She had heard Ronan Farrow of The New Yorker was getting ready to move a story. Can you check your sources? Chris Cuomo said he was in a panic, 
over how the governor's team was handling the accusations, he pledged to, quote, let me help with prep before drafting his own proposed statements for the governor to read, including one referencing cancel culture. He also used his contacts to try to aid the defense in other ways. After the New York Times reported in early March that the governor had made an unwanted advance on a young woman at a wedding, Chris Cuomo texted DeRosa to say, quote, I have a lead on the wedding girl who he believed had potentially been put up to it to hurt the governor. The lead turned out to be bunk, he told investigators. So again, Chris Cuomo deeply involved in the defense. So what does this mean? It means that no one is trustworthy. That's what it means. And Chris Cuomo, again, has not been summarily canned by CNN. After all of these revelations, we've known for a long time that Chris was deeply involved in his brother's defense. Listen, on a familial level, I really don't see a huge issue with brothers trying to defend each other. I don't. I, in, in fact, I think there's something kind of nice about it. What I will say is that you don't get to be an anchor on CNN covering the news every night while ignoring one of the biggest news stories in the country that you happen to have inside information about. You don't get to do that. You want to take a leave of absence from CNN to advise your brother. That's fine. You want to be a, an advisor to your brother in the middle of an investigation into how many butts he was grabbing at wedding parties. And uh, you should not be on air at the time. But there are really no standards over at CNN at all. In fact, last night, Chris Cuomo went on air. He had nothing to say about this entire thing. And at the end of his show, he always does this weird crossover with Don Lemon, where Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo do a bit of a jokey, hokey routine. And uh, Don Lemon talked about how much he loves Chris Cuomo, which makes sense because Don Lemon himself is a political hack. It's good to see you. Good to see you, brother. I know you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you did. I missed you. I am grateful for your friendship and your love. I think that you are fantastic. One of the kindest people I know on this planet. There you go. I'm in everywhere. Well, I am thankful for you in my life. It was great to see you having a good time. I like the Friendsgiving uh, tradition. Yes. Uh, for us, it was great to be in the house uh, for the first time. And uh, it was all good, man. One memory at a time. It's always better with you, but it was good to know you were having fun where you were. Okay, so that's the coverage last night on CNN. Do you trust your news sources? Why? Why should you trust your news sources? They are propaganda outlets. You're just going to have to pick which propaganda outlet you like. By the way, how propagandistic are these news outlets? New York Magazine is now producing a book of essays on AOC. I'm not kidding. It is called Take Up Space, the unprecedented AOC. They should have called it So Fresh, So Face, the AOC story. Apparently, the book will include a series of essays on the wonders of AOC, including an essay on the role her beauty plays in her public perception by Rhonda Gerlich, analysis of her social media greatest hits by Madison Malone Kircher, and an essay on her rare authenticity by Molly Fisher. By the way, I love the notion that the AOC machine, which is just a production machine, I mean, honestly, all credit to her. She is as produced as any Hollywood star. The fact that she is being treated as a, as a voice of authenticity is hysterically funny. But this is what your media is. This is who your media are. And it has predictable consequences, like the obscuring of basic facts. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the perfect gift for the holidays. I'm talking about the gift of steak, okay? Every dude on your list wants steak. I'm just telling you right now, there will be no greater gift this year than steak. Now, your go-to as a dude for the women in your life is generally jewelry. But let me just tell you, for guys, steak is like, it's unbeatable. And Omaha Steaks makes the best steaks. The holidays are around the corner. Finding the perfect gift is tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter Shapiro into the search bar to order the perfect gift package for $99.99. Get 24 entrees like the world-famous bacon-wrapped filet mignons, chicken breast sides, desserts, and so much more. When you use code Shapiro, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers for free with your order. 
You've heard the reports about shortages and shipping delays. Don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today. At omahasteaks.com, you'll get eight free burgers when entering the code Shapiro. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value. 100% guaranteed. OmahaSteaks.com. Keyword Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Every dude on your list is going to be very happy for the holidays with Omaha Steaks. Okay. Speaking of the media and their untrustworthiness, I'm just going to remind you that last week, a black 39-year-old man ran a car into the middle of a parade of small children and elderly grandmothers and killed a bunch of them. And the entire media have completely forgotten about it. And these are your trusted institutional sources. We're going to tell you what you need to do on a day-to-day level. Like everything you need to know is going to come from these people, except for how they just obscure facts on a regular basis. It's completely disappeared from the news, by the way. Waukesha completely disappeared from... Can you... I wonder why. Why did Waukesha completely disappear from the news? So you're, you still remember how there was a woman named Heather Heyer who was killed in Charlottesville by a white supremacist driving a car into a parade. You remember this, right? You remember because it was a national story. It is still a national story. It will be used as a campaign issue in 2024 should Donald Trump run again. You remember that, right? Okay, that was a big thing. It was a big issue. It was a real act of evil crime. The person in Waukesha killed six times as many people and no one seems to care anymore, even though the man's social media is filled with anti-white rage, BLM nonsense, and actual quotes from Hitler. And we are supposed to pretend that that doesn't matter at all because the media have decided it's no longer of issue. It was an SUV, apparently an unmanned SUV. I thought that those weren't being rolled out completely on American roads for a while, but apparently they are, and they just run people down at parades. It's pretty incredible. By the way, quick note, you want to know why this is not in the media? It's not in the media because the left doesn't want it in the media. They don't want to cover this anymore. It's over. How do I know that the left don't want it in the media? Because Joe Biden clearly doesn't. Jen Psaki over at the White House was asked why Joe Biden is not visiting Waukesha, the victims of what appears to be a deliberate criminal act of homicide. According to the cops, why is he not going and visiting with the victims? And, uh, you know, Jen Psaki says, you know, he's busy. He's a busy guy. He's a busy guy sleeping in his basement, drinking in shore and, and mumbling to himself. Our hearts go out to this community, to the people in Waukesha, that we've been in touch, obviously, with officials there. And we're all watching as people are recovering. And this is such a difficult time of year for, for this to happen. It's a difficult any time. Uh, obviously, any president going to visit a community requires a lot of assets, requires taking their resources. And uh, it's not something that I have a, a trip previewed at this plan, point in time. But we remain in touch with local officials. And certainly, our, our hearts are with the community as they've gone through such a difficult time. Now, um, I, I would take that a little more seriously, except for the fact that your entire campaign decided to descend on Kenosha after a career criminal named Jacob Blake, who's alleged to have raped a woman, showed up at her house. She called the cops. The cops showed up. He resisted arrest. He had a knife on him. He refused to obey their commands and he was shot. And Joe Biden showed up. So did Kamala Harris. They all decided to make phone calls and show up in person in Kenosha at the behest of a career criminal who had resisted arrest. So I find it rather unconvincing that the reason you're not showing up in Waukesha is because suddenly you are concerned with cost issues. This is the greatest spending president in the history of the United States by a long shot. And you are the guy who is saying that you're concerned about cost issues. Or could it be you really don't like this particular crime story? It's going to be a local crime story again. Remember, this is the rule. The rule is that if there is a crime that backs the national left-wing narrative, then it's a national crime story. If it's a crime that does not back the national left-wing narrative, then it's a local crime story. It's a local crime story. Right? Kermit Gosnell, a, an abortionist who was murdering babies after they were born in Philadelphia by the dozens, that was a local crime story. However, 
If somebody sends a, a death threat to a Democratic member of Congress, that is a national crime story. That's the way this works. If a, if a Bernie Sanders acolyte shoots up a bunch of Republican Congress people, that's a national news story for like a day. However, if there are a bunch of people who break into the Capitol building on January 6th, that's a national news story forever. Now, I'm not saying that the ones that, that I just mentioned there that are national news stories should not be. I'm saying that many of the ones they call local news stories ought to be national news stories. But your media are driven by just as Chris Cuomo acts at the behest of his brother, Andrew Cuomo, so too the left-wing media act at the behest of their brothers in the Democratic Party. To suggest that the media and the Democratic Party are somehow unaffiliated is an absurdity piled on top of an absurdity. This is a point that was made by Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, who has been taking the lead in fighting the battle against the media here in the state of Florida. Here he was doing a, doing a presser with a bunch of members of law enforcement because Florida is a fantastic state. And here is Ron DeSantis talking about Waukesha. Is that how it works? The SUVs, they just drive by themselves? This just kind of happened? And they say, oh, this was a big accident. Uh, you never actually hear the discussion about who committed this. Uh, what was the motivation? Uh, this guy was a career criminal, let out on, didn't really have any bail, basically, should not have even been on the street, uh, had clear anti-white animus, uh, and this was an intentional act. And it seems like, you know, for corporate press, they're more apt to, to characterize a parent who goes to a school board meeting to protest bad policies as a domestic terrorist than somebody who intentionally rams an SUV into a crowd of innocent people. So you have at least six have died. You have many more that have been injured. I know many people are in the hospital. And so uh, let's just be clear. This was not a car just driving in. This is correct. This is correct. Hey, he, he continued along these lines. He said, this is an attack by a felon who did that, who should not have been on the street. We'll see what the actual motivation was. It very well may have been in response to what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. You have to wonder if that's the case. Almost surely this guy's view of Rittenhouse was colored by all the media lies. He brought a rifle across state lines. That was a lie. They said the initial altercation with Jacob Black, that Blake was unarmed. That's a lie. They covered up Blake's criminal history. Correct. Correct. So why would you trust these members of the media anywhere along the line? By the way, the latest crime story, and it will not be a national story, is uh, the Jesse Smollett, the Jesse Smollett trial in Chicago. Remember, the entire media jumped to the conclusion, the absurd conclusion that Jesse Smollett was telling the truth when he said last year that he was walking on the streets of Chicago at 3 a.m. in a windstorm and a bunch of MAGA-hatted idiots came up behind him and garroted him. It was a lie. It turns out that allegedly he had hired two of his buddies to do this to him. And then he had lied to the cops about it, specifically for the media attention. Now there's a trial of Jesse Smollett happening. According to the Associated Press, he's a real victim of a real crime, according to his attorney. It turns out the two brothers who attacked Smollett in January didn't like him. A $3,500 check the actor paid the men was for training so he could prepare for an upcoming music video. He wasn't paying them so that they would uh, fake a crime involving him. And we'll see how long that lasts in the news, the Jesse Smollett case. The entire, me if it had been a true story, that's a national news story. But it wasn't a true story. He was lying. So uh, now it's a local crime story again. That is how all of this works, consistently and continuously. Alrighty, coming up, we're going to get to the situation with Lauren Boebert and Ilhan Omar. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let us talk about the fact that you need life insurance. Let's say, for example, that you are a psychologist and you specialize in, in child psychology. And a kid comes to you and he explains to you that he has been seeing people who are no longer with us. He has been seeing people who are dead. And you start working with the kid 
And it's, it's really terrifying and, and strange, very strange situation. Well, right about the time that you realize that you actually died a while ago, you start thinking, man, if I had known that, I would have bought life insurance a long time ago, long before I ever met this kid. I should have listened to Shapiro and gone to Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes getting a life insurance quote easy. First, you head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Answer a few questions about yourself in minutes. You can work out how much life insurance coverage you need. Compare personalized quotes to find your best price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Their licensed experts will help you understand your options and apply for a policy. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. You can trust them to offer unbiased help, advocate for you at every step until you are covered. Policy Genius doesn't add on extra fees or sell your information to third parties. They have thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot since 2014. Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro. Alrighty. So meanwhile, file this one under why would you ever trust politicians to do anything about your life? I really... I, it is a source of constant bewilderment that you look at the institutional players in your life and you think, Me, these people need more authority. They need more authority. Okay? Because let's just face it, most of the people who are in Congress at this point are there for the Instagram of it. They're there for the public attention of it. And they're not super competent at their jobs. And so I don't take them very seriously because I don't think that they are worthy of being taken seriously. But this goes across the board. Okay, it, it seems to me that whenever you see Congress people who are pretending to be offended by each other, it's all for show. Whether it is AOC on the floor of the House yelling about how what what the hell what the hell is that that congressman's name from Arizona Gosar, whether it is AOC standing on the floor of Congress shouting about how Paul Gosar threatened her life with an anime meme, or whether it is Ilhan Omar complaining that Lauren Boebert made a made a bad and cruel joke about her being a terrorist, I just I I I find a I am having a hard time caring. I got to be honest with you, I have a real hard time with Congress people who spend their lives complaining that people make fun of them. And, and use anime memes. Like, welcome to the real world where this kind of crap happens all the time. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not aware of many public figures who receive more of this stuff than I do. And frankly, I don't care because I have a real life. And you know what I can do? I can shut off my phone. And if somebody says something mean and nasty about me, eh, that's life. But these Congress people are simultaneously some of the biggest mouth, thin-skinned people I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's so obnoxious. So we've had an entire national controversy now over the fact that Lauren Boebert did, a, did an event where she made a joke about Ilhan Omar, a mildly inappropriate joke about how she said that Ilhan Omar was a, was a bomber or something. Okay, now, is that a joke that politicians should tell about each other? No, probably not. Is it the end of the world? Is it something that you should spend even one iota of energy on today? No, and frankly, if we are going to rank crimes by Congress members, I'm going to go with the Congress member who says openly anti-Semitic things routinely, who has expressed support for terror groups, who has written letters to judges attempting to lessen the sentence of people who are being recruited to ISIS, I feel like that's a lot worse than Lauren Boebert making a bad joke about that person. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay, but apparently, this is now such an issue that Democrats are considering stripping Lauren Boebert of her committee assignments. Now, let's just be real about this. Democrats have, have entered into a game that they do not want to play because Congress will be controlled by Republicans come January 2023. And when that happens, Ilhan Omar will not be on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Eric Swalwell will not be on the Intelligence Committee since he was banging a Chinese spy. We are not going to be having a lot of the Democratic members of Congress who are currently sitting. Maxine Waters is not going to be on financial services. That lady is corrupt as the day is long. Now, the rule was, it used to be, that parties got to select which of their own members got to sit on which committee. That rule is in place because you really didn't want one party dictating to the other party who its prominent members would be. 
But Democrats have broken that rule because they've stripped a bunch of Republican Congress members of their committee assignments. Even if I think those members are bad, I don't think it's up to Democrats to strip the opposing party of their committee assignments. So if we're going to play this game, because now Democrats want to do this to Lauren Boebert over this joke that we're about to play for you, then um, Ilhan Omar is likely to find herself out in the cold come January 2023, as she should be. So anyway, here is the original joke that Lauren Boebert told. Obviously, so bad, so terrible, end of world. Let's all weep for Ilhan Omar. I was getting into an elevator with one of my staffers. And he and I, are, we're leaving the Capitol. We're going back to my office. And we get in the elevator. And I see a Capitol Police officer running hurriedly to the elevator. I see fret all over his face. And he's reaching. And I'm like, what? I can't, the door's shutting. Like, I can't, I can't open it. Like, what's happening? I look to my left. And there she is. Ilhan Omar. And I said, well... She doesn't have a backpack. We should be fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, so she makes a joke about Ilhan Omar being, being a terrorist or whatever. Okay. So Ilhan Omar acts like she is very, very upset about this. How dare anybody? How dare anybody? Uh, a woman who once said that something happened on 9-11. Something happened to some people on 9-11. She's never said anything offensive, Ilhan Omar. Again, does that mean that Lauren Boebert told the world's greatest joke there? Is that a joke that she should apologize for? You know, on a personal level, the way that this typically should work is she should call up, you know, I don't think she owes the public an apology. I think that there's this routine in politics now where if you say something mean to somebody, you don't owe them an apology, you owe the public an apology. You don't owe the public an apology. I think the public can take care of itself. But, you know, she called up, she called up Ilhan Omar to try and be a nice person and offered her an apology. And apparently Ilhan Omar then played the wronged innocent and, uh, and hung up on her. Here is uh, Lauren Boebert telling that story. She said that she still wanted a public apology because what I had done wasn't good enough. So I reiterated to her what I had just said. She kept asking for a public apology. So I told Ilhan Omar that she should make a public apology to the American people for her anti-American, anti-Semitic, anti-police rhetoric. She continued to press and I continued to press back. And then Representative Omar hung up on me. Rejecting an apology and hanging up on someone is part of cancel culture 101 and a pillar of the Democrat Party. Okay, so me. So th there, there'll be a lot of words spilled over this, a lot of ink spilled over this, a lot of talk about uh, Democrats are now seriously considering, again, stripping Lauren Boebert of her committee assignment over this. Over that, like. All right. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I care at all because I frankly do not. I do not. I do love how Ilhan Omar characterized this conversation. Quote, today, I graciously accepted a call from Representative Lauren. Well, I mean, don't pat yourself on the back too hard there, lady. I mean, her arm has stretched six inches just so she could properly reach her back. She graciously, she didn't just accept a phone call. She graciously accepted a phone call. Whoa, what a hero. What a hero. In the hope of receiving a direct apology for falsely claiming she met me in an elevator suggesting I was a terrorist and for a history of anti-Muslim hate, instead of apologizing for Islamophobic comments and fabricated lies, Representative Boebert refused to publicly acknowledge her hurtful and dangerous comments. She instead doubled down on her rhetoric, and I decided to end the unproductive call. I believe in engaging with those we disagree with respectfully. No, you don't. In what world is this true of Ilhan Omar? But not when that disagreement is rooted in outright bigotry and hate. Okay, so here is the dynamic. The dynamic in Congress is that our Congress people have every incentive to be social media stars and very little incentive to actually just do public service. And so this benefits everybody. In the end, this benefits everybody. It benefits people who tell edgy jokes. It benefits people who get very offended. It benefits the media that loves to cover it. Does any of it make your life better? Of course not. And should you spend 
one, again, one ounce of energy over the offense being taken by members of Congress, that other members of Congress are saying mean things about them. Not one shred of energy should you spend today on this. Not one shred. So I only wish to point this out because I wish to point out that you, the American people, have decided to give more of these people power over your life. And I don't understand why. I will never understand why. Speaking of people who have power over your life and also don't deserve power over your life, there's a new book that is coming out titled Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide by a New York Post columnist named Miranda Devine. She says, while Joe Biden waged war on white privilege from the White House, his own family was the living embodiment of the worst of it. Joe has always made sure the Bidens lived a life of unearned privilege and entitlements under his beneficent patronage. Like members of a hereditary aristocracy, the Bidens would have access to the best America can give, the most prestigious educational institutions, internships, clerkships, scholarships, directorships, and government sinecures. Decades ago, the president decided that Hunter Biden would act as the family's cash cow, says Devine. Hunter, who would have preferred to be an artist or a writer, was assigned the role of paying the bills for the rest of the family through lucrative grace and favor jobs and sweetheart deals facilitated by Joe's network of connections in Delaware and later throughout the world. In addition to records from his missing laptop showing Hunter held 10% of Chinese business to deal of a Chinese business deal for the big guy, Devine quotes an email Hunter wrote to his oldest daughter, Naomi, in 2019, quote, I hope you can all do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard, but don't worry. Unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary. Hunter later alleged, allegedly complained to his aunt, who raised him after his mother's tragic death, that although Joe Biden co-signed student loans for Hunter and Bo, he expected Hunter to pay off both loans. Dad never paid one dime, Hunter wrote in an email, according to the book. Devine says she found evidence that Joe Biden benefited from Hunter's deals in multiple emails, such as one concerning J.R.B. Bills. In another email, detailed by Devine, dated April 12, 2018, Hunter gets locked out of one of his Wells Fargo accounts because, quote, my dad has been using most lines on this account, which I've, through the gracious offerings of Eric Schwerin, a close family advisor, have paid for the past 11 years. When Schwerin writes about the amount of money in my account, his scare quotes imply its contents belong to him in name only. So in other words, the Biden family has been engaged in a grift in which they used Hunter as basically their cutout for years and years and years and years. And these are the politicians that we trust. They're all grifters. So many of them are grifters on, on all sides of the aisle, by the way. But the, the notion from the media is that you ought to, again, give them more and more and more trust. They're not disconnected from the American public. By the way, speaking of being disconnected from the American public, just want to note quickly, Pete Buttigieg, who Democrats are now touting as a possible replacement for Kamala Harris, should Joe Biden go down before 2024? Pete Buttigieg yesterday, Man of the people, Pete Buttigieg from South Bend, Indiana, who can afford to take two months of paternity leave based on the grave physical harms experienced by him and his spouse during the birth of their child. He needed paternity leave for two months in the middle of a supply chain crisis. We were all supposed to not notice. And um, and now Pete Buttigieg has such sympathy for the American people that he says you shouldn't worry so much about gas prices. After all, you can buy electric vehicles. Electric vehicles, by the way, are going for like forty, fifty thousand dollars a pop. If you just families got that lying around. Sure, Pete. Makes perfect sense. Most of the physical infrastructure work uh, was contemplated in the bill that was just signed, but there is more envisioned in the Build Back Better law. I'll give you one example. It contains incentives to make it more affordable to buy an electric vehicle, up to a $12,500 discount, in effect, for families thinking about getting an EV. Uh, families that once they own that electric vehicle will never have to worry about gas prices again. Well, I mean, if you, if you buy an electric vehicle, you'll never have to worry about gas again. Sure, you're driving a beat-up 1997 Honda Civic, and uh, you're just attempting to get to work, and you're making $45,000 a year. But for that entire salary, and a little bit, 
You could probably get an electric vehicle. I mean, sure, you wouldn't be able to feed your family this year, but you could get an electric vehicle, according to Pete Buttigieg. These are the folks you have elected. These are the folks you have decided to put in charge of your life. Already coming up, we'll get to Jack Dorsey, who is now out at Twitter to spend more time with his beard. First, let's talk about the fact that if you are looking at redoing your home and beautifying your home, one of the biggest things that I care about when I look at my house is the way light enters my home. You know, natural light really beautifies your home. And one of the big obstacles to that is if you have crappy old window coverings. When you decided to rent that apartment, when you decided to buy that house, you probably didn't think much about the window coverings, but now that I'm saying it, you're looking at it, aren't you? Well, you should just get those things replaced and you can do it the best way possible with blinds.com. Get your home ready for guests over the holidays with new window treatments from blinds.com that make the entire process super simple. You will love the result. Make blinds.com your first choice for high quality window coverings that are perfect for any size window. There's no guesswork, no hassle with multiple trips to a store or trying to meet up with a contractor or interior designer to consult you who's really just going to try and upsell you. All of the window treatments from Blinds.com come at a great price and are easy to install. You can handle the measure and install yourself or have Blinds.com take care of it with local pros. And Blinds.com, they're the experts you want to go to. They've got 25 million windows covered, over 40,000 five-star reviews. Get free samples, free shipping, 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go to Blinds.com right now through December 1st. Save up to 45% off everything, plus premium door busters and additional savings off your entire order. That's Blinds.com for up to 45% off. When you check out online, don't forget to tell them you heard about Blinds.com from The Ben Shapiro Show. Rules and restrictions may apply. All righty, folks, if you didn't tune into Tucker's show last night, you might have missed my colleague's super important and exciting announcement. Matt Walsh is now a wildly successful children's book author. Yes, Matt Walsh. He's just written his first children's book. The book is called Johnny the Walrus. It's about a little boy named Johnny with a big imagination. Whether he's a big scary dinosaur or a knight in shining armor or a playful puppy, he's always playing pretend. But one day, he's forced to make a decision between the little boy he is and his big imagination, and he's not allowed to change his mind. It's a tale of identity and imagination. It's waiting for you to purchase it on Amazon right now. So please, head on over to johnnythewalrus.com. Pick up a copy of Matt Walsh's timely masterpiece, Johnny the Walrus, today. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Meanwhile, over at Twitter, we here on the conservative side of the aisle, we've been bashing Jack Dorsey for a very long time because he's a political hack. He's a wild left-wing activist. You remember he used to do full events with DeRay McKesson of Black Lives Matter back in 2014, 2015. And uh, also, he's a weird guy, right? He's the kind of guy who goes over to Malaysia and just goes to like a Malaysian cave and hangs out with the mosquitoes so that he can demonstrate that he's a spiritualist. And also, he's grown a, a beard a la Ben Gunn so he can live on Treasure Island and uh, and try to... Try to uh, you know, help Hawking and and Long John Silver. He's he's a very strange and odd and odd man. Uh, well, he is now out at Twitter. The stock price rose by like ten percent when he resigned, which is always a great sign for your leadership. You, you say I'm out. Everybody's like, oh, I want that stock now. <laughs> well, there's only one problem. The person who's about to replace Jack Dorsey as the Twitter CEO is the CTO, the Chief Technology Officer, whose name is Parag Agrawal. Well. There's only one problem with Parag Agrawal. If you didn't like Jack Dorsey because you thought that he was too restrictive, that he had banned too many people who were on the right side of the aisle, um, Agrawal is worse. According to National Review, Twitter's incoming CEO, Parag Agrawal, suggested last year the company should focus less on free speech during an interview with Technology Review. Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey announced Monday he is stepping down as CEO and will be succeeded by Agrawal, who is the platform's current CTO. Last year, Technology Review editor-in-chief Gideon Litchfield 
asked Agrawal how Twitter balances its efforts to combat misinformation with, quote, wanting to protect free speech as a core value. And here's what Agrawal said, quote, our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, but our role is to serve a healthy public conversation and our moves are reflective of things we believe lead to a healthier public conversation. The kinds of things we do about this is focus less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. Hmm. One of the changes today we see is speech is easy on the internet, he said. Most people can speak, where our role is particularly emphasized is who can be heard. The scarce commodity today is attention. There's a lot of content out there, a lot of tweets out there. Not all of it gets attention. Some subset of it gets attention. Twitter's role, he said, is moving toward how we recommend content. And that sort of is, is a struggle that we're working through in terms of how we make sure these recommendation systems that we're building, how we direct people's attention is leading to public, healthy conversation that is most participatory. In other words, we are going to shift and control exactly the kind of information you see. So if you were worried about Twitter before under Jack Dorsey, now you have to worry twice as much about that under the incoming Twitter CEO, Parag Agrawal. Again, remember, these are elites who have decided that they are going to make for quote-unquote healthy conversation. Their definition of healthy conversation is they get to define the parameters of the conversation. They get to define the terminology that they use. They get to define the, the terminology you use. They get to define what allows you to remain on Twitter and what does not. One of our columnists here at uh, Daily Wire, one of our reporters, Amanda Giacomo, she was banned outright from Twitter for the great crime of having called a biological male a biological male. This is the kind of stuff that Twitter is going to be doing more and more in the future. They're simply going to be deciding the Overton window by referencing the Democratic Party's most radical line and then implementing it top down. And they will shadow ban people. They will be blocking people. They will be banning people outright. They'll just be closing that window. Now, that does provide an opportunity for places like Parler, so long as places like Parler are then not deplatformed by Amazon Web Services. And this is where you get into the real institutional threat to American life today. It is not all from the government. Very often, it is from corporations working hand in glove with democratic institutions and under threat from democratic institutions in order to restrict your ability to disseminate information. Because when you have all neutral service providers like Amazon Web Services deplatforming alternatives to Twitter like Parler, which is what happened earlier this year after January 6th, when that sort of stuff happens, what you are basically saying is there is no alternative but to use the sort of language and abide by the rules set by the cultural elites who disagree with you on baseline things about how the world should work. It's illegitimate and it's authoritarian. And you're going to see more of that from Twitter with Jack Dorsey gone, God help us. It's amazing. I'm now forced into, how bad is the left? I'm now forced into the position of defending Jack Dorsey as opposed to the person who's about to succeed him. So the reason, by the way, that Jack Dorsey said that he was leaving, aside from he has a desperate need to, to meet insects from other continents, is uh, he said that um, he needed to leave because he didn't want to get in the way of the, of the company. He said, I'm going to serve on the board through my term to help Parag and Brett. Brett would be Brett Taylor, who's going to become board chair with the transition. After that, I'll leave the board. Why not stay or become chair? I believe it's important to give Parag the space he needs to lead. Back to my previous point, I believe it's critical a company can stand on its own, free of its founder's influence or direction. I want you all to know this is my decision and I own it. It was a tough one for me. Of course, I love this service and company. By the way, the actual reason Dorsey is leaving is apparently because he's very into crypto, which so am I. I like crypto as well. My deep concern is that I've seen too many freedom-oriented institutions taken over by people who do not actually have freedom at their heart. Jack Dorsey took over Twitter, or he founded Twitter, and his original goal was to broaden the capacity for free speech, and soon enough, he was shadow banning and banning people outright. Same thing with Facebook. 
And, and if, when it comes to Bitcoin, which was an alternative to centralized government control of currencies, I just have a feeling that a lot of the people who are getting into crypto right now are then going to harness it on behalf of government and use it against you the same way they've done with so many social media outlets. And this scares the hell out of me. If decentralization was the wave of the future, recentralization is the next step. And, and it seems to me that, that the Jack Dorseys of the world have been a negative influence in that direction, unfortunately. Alrighty. Meanwhile, the Biden administration continues to panic over Omicron. Omicron, of course, is the uh, is the new variation of the of the COVID nineteen virus, and we're all supposed to freak out and panic over it. There is, uh, of course, only one problem with that, which is that there's no actual reason for the panic at this point. Yeah, people, by the way, in free areas are just ignoring this. Right down here in in South Florida, we have Art Basel, which is the uh, the big art festival down here. And no one is not going. Everybody's just going to go do whatever they want. What's amazing about this is that, again, the scientists who are describing the new COVID variants are saying that the symptoms are mild. They're saying that there are more mutations in terms of the spike proteins, which means that it may be more transmissible, but it may also be milder. I don't understand why that's not a good thing. Like If I have a choice between slightly less transmissible, but still, but still really transmissible and kills more people and more transmissible, but kills fewer people, I care about the latter, right? I mean, the, the former you just call a cold. Right? If, if there's something that's very transmissible and kills virtually no one, that's okay. If there's something that's somewhat less transmissible, but still very transmissible and kills a ton of people, that's, that's a bad thing. So one of the things that nobody's talking about is the possibility that Omicron, which apparently is more transmissible, might also be milder. If that's the case, let's say it becomes dominant. Let's say it crowds out Delta. And let's say that it kills fewer people. It has a lower IFR. And Delta. Why isn't that a positive? Like, if I have a choice between being infected with Omicron with a lower death rate and Delta with a higher death rate, why is it bad that Omicron becomes the dominant strain? By, by the way, that would follow the pattern of viruses. Viruses typically get less, less deadly and more virulent over time. And when they become endemic, they become easier to get, but they also become less deadly. That's something that the world can survive. And yet the world is treating this thing with abject sheer terror and panic. And at that point, you start, have to, you start having to, to doubt motives. Like, again, I, I always attribute to stupidity rather than malice. But at this point in time, I'm, I'm having a hard time telling how this is not malice. You still have a bunch of people in positions of authority claiming that they know how to shut down the virus when they've spent a year and a half not shutting down the virus. And then telling you that you should panic in the absence of data. Why? I, I just don't understand why. And by the way, we should know very, very quickly. Dr. Marty Makari was on the show yesterday. And he said we should know basically within 48 hours whether the vaccines and, and the antibodies stand up to Omicron in any serious way. And yet we don't have any of that information. Why is the data collection so bad? Meanwhile, the CDC has decided everybody in America needs to get a third shot. Based on what? I have no idea. They're not, prov they're not providing the data as to why everybody needs a third shot. I understand if you're immunocompromised and elderly, you need a third shot. My parents got a third shot. I'm not sure why I need a third shot. I'm 37, I'm fully vaccinated, and I'm healthy. Why do I need a third shot? They've provided no data. The idea is just you have to listen to them. And I'm sorry, you haven't earned my trust. In fact, you've earned my distrust. I trusted you more before the pandemic than I do now. All righty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. Coming up soon, the Matt Walsh Show airs at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Go check out Matt's new children's book as well at johnnythewalrus.com. Be sure to check out Matt's show at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> 
If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Wydowski. Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright, Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Matt Wall Show, I am uh, now a children's author. My book went on sale yesterday, and it's already making some people very upset. I'll explain why today. Also, Joe Biden gives a press conference about the dreaded super mega turbo Omicron variant. And Lauren Boebert and Ilhan Omar attempt to patch up their differences over a phone call, and it apparently doesn't go well. Chris Cuomo finds himself in another scandal involving his brother. And the trial of Kim Potter, who's the officer who accidentally shot Dante Wright, begins. Most people on the, both the left and right seem to think she deserves jail time. I disagree, and I'll explain why. And we'll take a look at a gender studies master's thesis. You might expect it to be totally delusional and insane, and you're right, but it's even worse than you imagine. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show.